podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, soon to be 14, and then 12. You know what? I'm whatever, you know. The, the more the merrier, and considering the way most of these teams that will be joining the Big 12 and those will stick around play both football and basketball, or at least one of them, it's going to be a whole lot of fun when they're all here. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us for our Monday episode. we got a lot to get to. We're going to talk some basketball. we got quite a few things to discuss. we got to discuss um, a record-setting performance on the women's side. we got some teams doing some things on the men's side that are ugh, not great. And I'm very excited to talk about those things. And then uh, we're going to finally, we've been putting it off. Now it feels like a good time to talk about uh, the Big 12 football schedule uh, for 2022. But we're going to get to football later. Joining me as he always does today, our good friend currently paying closer attention to the Chiefs game than he is to what we're talking about, Andy Mitz. Hey, look, that's what happens when you have playoff football that uh, is right in the middle of our normal recording time. Unfortunately, it's just one of the things you have to deal with. I, hey, I'm fine with it. It's fine. Like, you do you, man. This is why I have brought on today's guest. Uh, Jamie uh, is busy. She is out today. Uh, so we brought in somebody who actually knows things about basketball. That's not a shot at Jamie. It's a shot at Andy. Um, our Ooh, good friend. Oh, no, 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 no. That sounded a whole lot more like a shot at Jamie. Way to go. I would never so take a shot at Jamie. So being your favorite. Ever. No. Not like that. Never. Uh, our good friend, who I cannot believe that it is currently January 23rd, and this is the first time we're getting him on the show. I, I hope he will uh, forgive us for that. Uh, Mr. Heat Check College Basketball, Brian Ralph joining us. Brian, welcome back, man. Thanks for having me. Does this mean I can't watch football, too? I mean, we're all really, like, at some point, <laughs> everyone might just be like, oh, because something crazy is going to happen. Uh, at the moment, as at our time of recording, the Chiefs are up by five. Um, I think that's... I'm. I don't yeah, have it on. Yeah, it's five right now. My internet is hot garbage, so I'm having to like follow along while we talk. Okay. Basketball. We're going to get it to the record-setting performance in just a minute, but let's hop in on the men's side, Brian and Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Because we have you, Brian, I don't want to sit here and just recap the weekend or the week that was. I want to hit on a few topics, a couple of them that you have written quite a bit about. Let's um, do it. And I would dive in straight to the the non-conference darlings who have taken a bit of a slide in Iowa State. Started off 12-0. and Things were looking great. The Otzelberger era was off to a better start than anyone could have possibly predicted. Uh, but here we sit after seven conference games. They're 2-5 and five in Big 12 play uh, in a three-way tie for last place or eighth place, if you, however you want to stack that deck, uh, with Oklahoma and Kansas State. The biggest thing for Iowa State, and I'm going to let you talk about this because I only know this really because I read all of your wonderful uh, Ralph reports. Uh, Iowa State's shooting. I have complained about Oklahoma State's quite a bit, but um, three-point shooting for Iowa State is uh, is ugly. It is not good. Yeah, it's been non-existent. Their performance against TCU over the weekend was the third time in Big 12 play, and they've played seven Big 12 games. So third time in seven games. Iowa State has shot below 20% from the three-point line. Now, that's horrid. And there's another instance in there where they shot above 20, but were below 30. So you have over half your conference games shooting below 30% from three, which puts you as being, if you shot the way the entire season, one of, if not the worst three-point shooting team in the country. Iowa State, when they were ripping off that run the non-conference, was a decent three-point shooting team. They weren't great. 
but they were shooting 37%, 38%. Uh, they even hit 50% uh, in two of their big wins. I think it was the Xavier win, the Virginia Tech win, if I'm not mistaken. There were two of those big four they had in the non-conference that they shot 50% from three. Their defense is excellent. It's been excellent. It probably will still have them be in the NCAA tournament, um, even if they finish below 500 in Big 12 play. I think Iowa State has enough non-conference wins and enough other power conferences are struggling that there's going to be bids available. <laughs> I, I think Iowa State is, should still feel good if the bottom falls out about still sneaking in the NCAA tournament because of their defense. But if their offense doesn't improve, the bottom will fall out. I mean, what do you think is the cause of this? Because uh, to, a couple of occurrences and you're like, okay, it's just a, it's a weird mm. blip, but we're seven games into conference play and this is still happening. I mean, this happened just this past Saturday at home, a place I really didn't think that they would, would lose to a team of TCU's caliber. And that's not a shot at TCU. Like they've been playing really well, but Iowa State's been playing much better. And for them to get just stomped at home by TCU was, I think the most shocking result of the weekend. And so it, it just like, what is the problem for Iowa State other than just they just can't hit? Like, is there something we're seeing where you go, this is the problem, or have teams figured something out about them? Or what do you think is the is the cause of this? I don't think there's anything new that's necessarily the problem. Uh, I just kind of think this is who they are. This is who we thought they would be in the preseason. It might be that what we saw in the non-conference, at least from the offensive side, was a bit of an aberration. And what we're seeing now is who they are, they don't have a ton of offensive individual talent, right? They have some really good players and guys that have stepped up and been better than we thought. I mean, there's a reason no one thought this team was going to do anything and they're doing something now. They're, they, they have guys playing at a high level. Most of that comes on the defensive end. They did not have shooting and that was a major question. And now here they are in big 12 play playing against defenses uh, who are now to be fair, big 12 is full of good teams, full of really good defenses. So, to struggle against good defenses is not like a, a terrible thing, but to struggle as much as Iowa state is, I think is more of a personnel issue. They, they just don't have shooters. I, I think they shot over their hands in non-conference and are coming back to earth a little bit. It's there's no easy, easy fix for that. Unfortunately, it's just, okay. How do we, how do we work? We work this offense. If you're also uh, to where you're getting your best shooters open looks, and maybe putting less of an emphasis on the three because they're taking over 23s a game, uh, a lot of these games. Putting less of an emphasis on the three and, and trying to attack more. Um, I think we may see them rework it as opposed to try and get better looks or anything like that because to me it's a personnel issue. I mean, I do think the point on defense, like we keep talking about this, folks, like defensively you will not find a better conference in the country than the Big 12. Like Kansas is the worst team at, at by Ken Palm standards – at 46 at 41 40 oh 46 46 now um and then there's a massive jump to kansas state who's 30th and everybody's up from there from kansas state so like the 40s kansas is the 46th best defense in the country and that's the worst defense in the big 12 according to to ken palm so like find me a better conference that's good on defense so yeah i mean teams that aren't great offensively are only going to struggle more during conference play um, I said we see that now with Iowa State. We see that, of course, with Oklahoma State. Like, I think that's if you don't have the offense to balance out the defense, because everybody plays great defense. It's like, well, we play great defense. Like, great. So does everyone else. You don't have an edge from that standpoint. Can you actually mm-hmm. score buckets? If not, congrats. You're going to hold us to 50. We're going to hold you to 30. 
look, look, the, the thing that I think illustrates that point the most is that in Kansas's midweek game this week, right? They were number four on offense going in. They came out of the game number three, even though I would say they probably didn't have a great offensive performance for them. They had huge stretches where they were just completely dead. And if you can have a, a subpar offensive performance and yet your, your analytics go up because of how strong those defenses are. And remember that, that all of those numbers are adjusted for the strength of the opponent. Like that tells you how strong those defenses are that you can have what you consider to be a bad performance on the offensive end and your ratings actually get better. You know, I'm sitting here looking at Kim Palm's offensive rankings in the Big 12. Kansas, as you mentioned, is third. Baylor is fifth. Scrolling, 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 scrolling. Uh, hey, there's Texas at 40th. And I don't see anybody in between. Mind you, I could have just missed them. My, I, I have some very tired eyes at this point. Um, I mean, it's that why Texas we, rating might be boosted by a week non non conference schedule too, and doing yeah, doing Texas a lot, is boosted uh, probably. What? Cupcakes week non? Come on, man! They played some uh, some barn burners. You know, I believe it was uh, University of uh, Northern Colorado that the beard hey, is any, very anytime. You- bring unc in you know you got to do it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know real 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 quick you guys were talking about the iowa state uh three-point shooting and and the one thing i noticed as i was going back because as, as you guys were talking about him i like went back and looked at it and, and the thing that that was said to me early in the year when i was talking with two a lot of iowa state fans and it really bears it out looking at the numbers is that this iowa state team is a very streaky team like they either shoot like less than 15% on threes or they shoot like 40% or above. Like against Oklahoma, they shot 47%. Against Kansas, they shot 34%. Like they are, they're shooting really well on threes. And so they either stay in games a whole lot and their defense keeps them in them, you know, or, or they go on and win them. Or they shoot so abysmally that the defense is able to keep it competitive for a decent amount of the game. But if it doesn't start to tick back up, then they're just completely out of it by the end. And I think that's what we saw against TCU. And that's what we've seen with this team so many times. It's just the fact that Iowa State, it's not that, yes, their their offensive numbers are definitely trending down. And I think it's just because the it's compounding those bad streaks at this point. The bad streaks are longer than the good streaks, even within a single game. No, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, it's hard to go two for 22 and not feel like things are building <laughs> building on themselves. You fair, know, and, and they are a team that feeds off energy. You know, and it's one of the reasons why Iowa State teams are always great at home is because of the energy that crowd gives them. Um, at the same time, though, you have this team who, as I mentioned, you don't have a lot of individual creators, individual shot creators offensively. There is a lot more motion that can go into your your offense and your shooting and your belief that a shot's going to go in. Um, so to have to have streaks like that makes sense. I think that's a great point. All right, so let's, uh, we mentioned another team. I think we should talk about them here for a moment. Uh, and that would be the Texas Longhorns. And you look at them, you say, okay, well, they're they're fourteen and five overall. They're four and three in Big Twelve play, um, but they were coming off a two game losing streak at Iowa State and at home to Kansas State uh, when they let I mean literally just slip right through their fingers. Uh, and I don't know if you're a Texas fan. I mean, you can play the like, hey, a win's a win over Oklahoma State on Saturday, and that's fine. It is a W, but I'm not sure it's one of those Ws you come away from and are really like super excited about considering Oklahoma State's shooting performance in that game. You also can't forget that two of Texas's big wins, their their quote-unquote good wins in Big 12 play, 
were the first two games where they played a severely COVID depleted West Virginia team that ran out of gas because they were playing seven or like seven or eight players for the entire game. Oh, and then back that up with a, uh, a severely COVID depleted Kansas state team that had only seven players available for that game. Again, another game that Kansas state was in that game until very, very late. And then they just completely ran out of gas at the end. Those are two games that come across as double digit wins when you look at the scoreboard. But to be honest, if, if I think even if, if those teams had one more player that they don't run out of gas the way that they did, and it probably is a, a either a really super close win for Texas or even a loss at that point. Texas is a bit of an enigma to me because you look at all the talent that they have and the talent is still there. And a lot of it is really good offensive talent. And their offense stinks. Uh, you talked about them being 40th in Ken Palm top 40. And I joked about those being inflated by going up against a lot of weaker competition, uh, but it's true. I mean, their offense against good teams has not been good. And it has not been like, Oh, we're playing a, a conversation earlier. It's not like they're just playing good big 12 teams and defenses and they're, and they're struggling. Like they go significant stretches without scoring a bucket and without getting a good look at a bucket. And you go back to me that, that, that goes on Chris Beard because of the talent that's on this roster. And you go back to the Texas tech teams that he's had the last two years since the national championship uh, team had the same issues. We talked all, all the time on uh, hope and Ralph presented by heat check uh, podcast. I do with, with my co-host Connor hope. We always joked that Texas tech was really good at being in close games and then losing them. Like that was, that was Texas tech's MO and that's, kind of Texas's MO right now because the offense just isn't there. You go back to, to early Beard's tenure at Texas Tech. He had Keenan Evans making plays at the end, and he had Jarrett Culver making plays at the end. Jarrett Culver was, uh, I think, the number six pick in the draft, maybe number eight pick, but a, a top ten pick in the draft. Before that, you know, he had Zaire Smith, who was a first-round pick in the draft as well. Since then, he hasn't had that level of talent, hasn't had that level of shot creator or shot creation, and it seems like without that guy, his offense really stalls out and stops. Since that championship game appearance back in back in 2019, oh, somebody we saw the uh, we saw Bill's touchdown. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and they went for two and got oh, it. Oh man, okay, he's back there looking like Johnny Manziel too. Good for Josh Allen. No, no, bad for Josh Allen. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> well, Mah- Mahomes has a what two minutes left. Oh, yeah, he's got plenty of time. Yeah, he's got plenty of time. If, if you go back to, to the 2019 championship appearance for Texas Tech, since then, Chris Beard's only like, I think he's sub 40% win percentage against Ken Palm top 60, top 65 teams, which are generally you know, tournament caliber teams. And for his teams to be considered top 25, top 20, top 15 caliber the way they have been, the results haven't been there. He, he's really, really struggled in Big 12 play without that Jarrett Culver type creator. I I was really high on Texas this year because I thought Marcus Carr could be that guy. But for whatever reason, that just doesn't seem to have worked. And Beard hasn't shown a good answer yet. There, there are no changes being made to the way they play offense despite these struggles. So that is why I've, I've hopped off this, this train for Texas that I was, I was very excited about before the season. 
I don't see it working because I don't see them making changes to make it work. I mean, it feels to some extent like Beard's just at some point we assume that this stuff's going to click, right? Like at some point we're just going to keep doing, Mm -hmm. we'll keep doing the same thing. And eventually the thing that we think should be working will work. And sometimes that Mm -hmm. happens and oftentimes that doesn't. And I mean, at a certain point you look at and say, I, I, we're getting to that point in the season where you, if you're going to make a run in March, like you're getting to that point, you better figure it out quick. Like and Gotta look, I, I, again, the Big 12 could, honest to goodness, get eight teams in the NCAA play tournament. Like, I don't think Texas, unless they just completely bottom out, mm-hmm. and even then, I don't think they're gonna, isn't gonna make the tournament. So they're gonna probably, they're gonna get there. Like, that's not gonna be the issue. But, mm-hmm. I, like, are we gonna see, this is a Texas team that, are you gonna, you gonna feel good putting them late in the tournament? You gonna you gonna put them far on your bracket if you're not a Texas fan, or are you just gonna kind of go, hey, I hope you don't run into an 11 seed who everyone's like, ooh, oh, senior loading mid major who just won their tournament, and it's won eight games in a row. Good luck with that, Texas. Like I, I don't know. They might be that team that could suck facing Iona under Patino oh, no. in the first round, which would be a real, <laughs> real interesting contrast there i'm, I'm going to be honest for any but, any people that are non-texas fans that, that would be a lot of fun to watch so um no but yeah. you know it, it is one of those things you also have to wonder like the question coming into the year was always going to be how quickly was chris beard going to be able to get the guys to buy into the system that he likes to do how well was he, he going to be able to mm-hmm. teach that system for them to actually buy into it um and were they going to have any were there going to be any kind of I guess I think the easiest way to describe it, it would be personality issues. You know, guys that didn't mesh well. Um, there was a lot of smoke not too long ago about guys like Marcus Carr wanting to leave, like having some issues with the way that they worked uh, with with Chris Beard. And it seemed like they were able to smooth it over at least enough to make it so that no one was leaving. But you have to wonder how much that's affecting what they're doing, whether they're completely bought in, because I'm looking at what they're doing. They just look lethargic. They look like they don't really want to be running stuff the way that they're running it. And it, that may just be the way it comes across as someone who has heard about what's happening behind the scenes. And I'm reading too much into that. But if, you know, I, I asked my wife who, who watches a lot of basketball with me, but does not actually know what's going on with a, a lot of the news surrounding it. Right. She, she just likes to watch basketball. And she looked at it and like watching that game against Oklahoma State, she's just like, OK, Texas looks like they just don't want to be here. And, and if my wife, who doesn't pay attention to a lot of that stuff, gets that sort of impression, that tells you that there's something going on. I don't know what it is. It seems like they could potentially work it out, but they're running out of time to do that and get a, a strong enough turnaround that anybody feels confident about them going into the postseason. Lack of leadership jumps out in that regard. I, I think a lot of that has to do with the transfers. You have a, a group where everybody came in, at least a majority of them, thinking or hoping however real that thinker hope was that they would be the guy. They were the guy that beard was focusing this Texas team on and, and be the team that the guy on the team who turned the program around and kind of set the tone in beards tenure. When you have a a number of guys who feel that way. And I, I think probably the guy who had the most right to feel that way is Marcus Carr. And then for him to be benched and for there to be those rumblings about him being unhappy you're looking at a, a situation there where um, like, you know, Tyree Hill can just go score a touchdown with a minute yep. left. 
Oh my goodness. Okay, you guys are ahead of me. So stop. Oh, are we? Oh, I was, just, I was like, <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, Andy. Oh um, my goodness. Oh man. But I going. I think going in a situation in Texas where you had a, a bunch of guys who thought they were going to be the guy and be the leader, and uh, because they are not, the end result is nobody's the leader. There's nobody to to rally everybody and get that buy-in, and and say, okay, we need to you know play with more effort than we're playing. We need to make the extra pass and not have that come up on your on your stat sheet offensively. That I, I think plays into it as well. I, hey, the the saying "too many cooks in the kitchen" exists for a reason. Like at some point, someone's got to just sit back and and play a second or third or fourth role, like and be okay not being the and, voice and the guy. And Beard loves to breed competition, right? He's one of the, he's one of these coaches who is very much the mindset of like competition will breed breed success. You be competitive in practice, create these battles, and, and you'll see that play on the court. But you have this season and then going back to some rumblings we heard particularly last season at Texas tech uh, there have been chemistry issues on some of his teams because there are too many cooks in the kitchen. There, there are not clearly defined roles. It's like, he's almost overvalued that creating competition Mm -hmm. for spots over actual on-court production and play and defined roles. Um, The best coaches to me are adaptable. And that means yes. also adapting to your roster. Sometimes you want to do something, but you can't fit a square peg in a round hole. And if if you if your roster and their makeup and their mentality and their personalities don't jive with what you want to do, A, that's on you because you recruited all of them and you should have known that when you did right. so. And B, you have to adjust as a coach to be able to get the most out of them and have them succeed at the highest rate by putting them all in positions to succeed, whether that fits the way you would like to do it or your favorite way to do it or not. Well, and the thing to think about too, is that the big 12 is full of coaches that are like that. I mean, Bill Self, you know, Bob Huggins, like, you know, I could go on for pretty much every coach in the big 12. They've, they've done that quite a bit. Chris Beard, I think is one of the few that even in his time at Texas tech, he wasn't really that good about adapting his style to the actual players. He was really good at, recruiting players and teaching them his style. And and I think that's what the difference is, is that if you can get the guys that you want to play the way that you want to play, and you have a style that works really, really well, like Beard does, um, you know, and, and to some extent, well, we'll see how, how much of that is Beard and how much of that is Adams as we get, a, you know, a few years down the road. But, but like that, that was always the thing that Beard did was he got the guys to come in to play the way he wanted to play. And he, they were absolutely phenomenal at it. You know, he doesn't have that at Texas. And so he has not been able to adapt yet to this point. I, I still think it's possible that he can do it, but he hasn't shown us that yet. And we have so many Big 12 schools and so many Big 12 coaches that have been able to do that. And so, again, it's just one of those things. They got to do it quickly. They got to figure it out soon or it's going to be too late. The one thing I will say in defensive beard, I don't want to I don't want to labor on this point too long, but to kind of flip in defensive beard, this is his seventh season, I think, as a D1 coach which we lose which we lose track of sometimes uh, his first year was at Fair. little rock and made the nsa tournament then his first three years at texas tech those three years they got better every year resulted in two elite eight appearances and the national championship game appearance right he's in the seventh year he's not texas his system in his mind works it has worked you know and this is now two and a half years where it it hasn't uh, so we can all look on the outside i think 
say they're obvious um, fixes and changes that need to be made or just tweaks. You got to do something different. But I think in his mind, kind of Andy, to your point about teaching his system, I think he still believes his system works. I also think on the outside looking in, the other coaches in the Big 12 in particular have made their adjustments to his system, and now he has to adjust to their adjustments. I don't think that second part has happened yet. Well, and and to be fair, like his system definitely works, and it will still work moving forward. It's about tweaking the system slightly to Correct. get it to fit better. And you're right. Yep. He hasn't been a head coach for very, very long. Like, it is only a seventh year, correct? So, like, it's going to take some time to get used to that. And when you haven't had to try to adapt it to a bunch of different players, it can take a lot longer, or it, it can be more difficult to do that when you have that first opportunity to. So, yes, it's definitely something to worry about. It's definitely something to kind of keep an eye on. It's just a matter, really, of, like, is it going to happen this year, or is it going to be something that we're going to see in the next couple of years? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's move on from Texas. We talked a lot of Texas, and uh, and that's okay. Brian, to me, at this point in the season, I realize we're still early into it. Seven games in, and Texas has only played six. Uh, TCU's only played five conference games. The Big 12 SEC Challenge is coming up this next weekend. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it feels like, and I know there's a lot of basketball to play, and I know TCU's three only has two losses, but let's just be realistic. It feels like this is a three-team race for the Big 12 this year in Kansas, Texas Tech, and Baylor. Um, really, uh, I have... Texas, Kansas sits at five and one, and I get that. I have a concern feeling like they are the favorite because I know that it's not that big of a variance, but when we look at the Ken Palm, their offense is the best in the Big 12, but their defense is the worst. I have a hard time saying feeling like Kansas is the lock there. Uh, I still think I lean towards Baylor, and I'm really curious. I, I don't think there's enough from Texas Tech for them to get there, but I am curious from you. This feels like a three-team race. Am I right at three, or do you think it's more narrow or wider than that? I think it's two. I think Texas Tech will linger because of the wins they have over Kansas and over Baylor. But I think when it comes down to it, it's going to be between Baylor and Kansas. And to me, really what it's going to come down to is what kind of Remy Martin and what kind of David McCormack does Kansas get down the stretch. Because if they get productive versions of both – I think Kansas is a better team than Baylor. That said, that's wildly inconsistent. <laughs> that is wildly, wildly inconsistent. And that's one of the reasons why both those guys have concerns from uh, McCormack earlier in his tenure at Kansas and then Remy Martin at Arizona State. We kind of drove Arizona State fans crazy there. Baylor is just a steady ship. I don't think they have the ceiling that it last or the ceiling that this Kansas team potentially has, but you are more apt to get Baylor's best game on a nightly basis than you are to get Kansas's best game. I I don't even know that it's necessarily that you're going to get Baylor's best game versus Kansas best game. I just think that within a particular game, the variance for Kansas's best versus worst in a single game is much bigger than Baylor's Baylor has had quite a few stretches where they look pretty bad. Their offense can't seem to get going either. And I think that's more a byproduct of the good defenses. Whereas Kansas at times just seems to go into their own funk where they just can't seem to get anything going. Um, They're good enough and explosive enough though, that they can recover from it and still end up winning the game. So it's really, it's really just a matter. and, and, And that was completely fully on display against Kansas state this last weekend. So like, it's one of those things where at some point it's going to catch up with them. The question is, is it going to be enough 
for Kansas to not. Like, it's, it's really only going to matter, I think, in the games of Kansas versus Baylor. If one of those teams sweeps those, then they win the conference. No, no problem. I think they're probably going to split them. And so then it's a matter of who picks up the biggest road wins. And, you know, that's that's really what's up for debate. That's usually the way the Big 12, you know, boils down to is who gets the most road wins in places that they probably shouldn't get them. Andy, I'm really proud of you right now. You're doing, you're doing great, man. You're doing great. Um, the one the one that I just saw, you mean? I literally just saw I didn't it. know how far ahead we were of you. I, I saw no. that like like two minutes yeah. ago. Like, there's, there's still 13 seconds. I'm, I'm a little pissed. <laughs> Andy might need to take a break. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> Huge return. Uh, okay. Okay, Ryan. I know it sounds ridiculous to <laughs> say that the Big 12 can get eight teams into the tournament. Obviously they can't get 10 because the NCAA is a collection of monkeys. Buffoons. That's a, that's a much nicer way of putting it. And I got to remember sometimes that there are people who listen to this who wouldn't like it if I used curse words. So I won't. Um, oh no, we do have to talk about that. I almost forgot and almost let the NCAA off the hook. Let's dive into this little nugget. Um, I was waiting. I was waiting for this. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this up so that I can read it properly. Um, NCAA, of course, signing off their new constitution. Okay, Article Four reads as such: Division and, as appropriate, conference regulations must ensure, to the greatest extent possible, that penalties impo- imposed for infractions do not punish programs or student athletes not involved nor implicated in the infractions. This is the, hey, OSU, if you hadn't been punished before now, uh, you probably would have been playing in the tournament. But because things, you know, you tried to do things the right way and these other institutions didn't, hey, you know how OSU fans have been sitting here saying basically everyone else is going to get a lot off the hook and we're the only ones who are going to get taken up the... Um, that's literally what this new rule states. I was I was gonna say this is put in place now before Kansas and Arizona and Louisville and even LSU get their punishments. So the NCAA can use this to be like, oh, this is why we didn't give those big time money makers a postseason ban. That's all it is. Now, I, I now, think it's. I think it's. To be honest, I'm not sure. Well, but the problem is, like, they still have to actually go and get this finished and get it to the point where, like, it will, you know, they'll actually base infraction cases off of it. Like, there's still quite a bit that still has to be done for this to actually be effective. I do agree. Like, it's completely set up right now. And honestly, it was probably completely set up anyway, um, you know, for teams like like Kansas and LSU and all of these to to not have significant punishments to the level of Oklahoma state. Cause I think everybody agrees what Oklahoma state got was absolutely ridiculous and just hammers home mm-hmm. the point that you do not cooperate with the NCAA under any circumstance ever. Like that's really what it's come down to every team that has right. Every team that has gotten hit hard cooperated with the NCAA. Every team that's gotten off did not cooperate with the NCAA and found a way to not give them the information they needed to actually hammer them. And so like, that's really what it comes down to. This is just, I think, going to codify what everybody actually believes is that we shouldn't be punishing people that had absolutely nothing to do with it. And like right now, the only way you can even get close to punishing people is to punish the school that, that actually, you know, the infraction happened at, which 
in turn, by default, because those people are no longer at that school, it hurts the school or it, it hurts the people that were not involved. So, I mean, yeah, there's really like this was what we knew was coming. It was going to have to come at some point. It really was just a question about how do you actually make that happen? The, the rule is good, but I'm, I'm so, so here's my new opinion. Oklahoma State should actually go and cheat and pay players and claim double jeopardy when they try and get them in trouble for it. Like, no, no, see, you punished us already for something we didn't actually do. Um, so go F yourselves. Um, all right. I'm gonna... It's just interesting timing. Oh, uh, the NCAA just loves to, f- I'm not like Andy's so far behind on things. And so I'm not supposed to like say things for Andy. No, go ahead because my kids are absolutely screaming. So I'm assuming that something really great um, just happened. I'm we're going to overtime. I, I, friend. I think I'm about five we're going to, seconds. We're going behind. to overtime. Are you wait? What? This game is absurd. 49 yard field goal. Freaking fantastic. So you're going to. Oh my God. I will say right now, I am just. Oh, I see it. Oh my gosh. That is absolutely crazy. So I'm ecstatic that this is the game that's going to overtime and not the one in the previous, the Rams and Bucks. Oh, yeah. Nobody wanted. Nobody but Bucks fans are like, yeah, we want to see. No, nobody wants that. No. I, I'm not entirely sure Bucks fans do either. No, I'm kidding. Of course they do. But nobody but Bucks fans. It's just like, no, you wanted Brady. That's fine. Everyone's going to hate you, but you. Like, that's cool. It, it literally just came across my TV, and I am absolutely thrilled. Right, sorry, no, I fine. just had to that's react fine. to that. Okay, well, so. uh, a couple of things. Let's uh, let's look to the week and the weekend that is coming up. Uh, Monday, yes. Woo, Texas Tech at Kansas. That's going to be a big one. Uh, Tuesday, we got a couple of games. And I'll say this. I'm going to say this. We cannot treat games that it's like, well, it's a ranked team versus a non-ranked, so it's not going to be very good. Welcome to the Big 12. Any game camp, there was no way, and I probably went, if I went back and we talked about TCU Kansas State, we weren't like, man, that's a game we should be paying attention to because it's going to be interesting. I mean, it really wasn't a very good game, but not for the reason we thought it wasn't going to be. Uh, Kansas State, Baylor, Texas, TCU on Tuesday. Iowa State at OSU, Oklahoma at West Virginia on Wednesday. And then, of course, we have Saturday. So before we get into Saturday, uh, which midweek game are you guys both like or are you guys interested in the most? Is it a, a, a cop-out to say Texas Tech, Kansas, just because that's the, a, the No such thing one. as a cop-out here. None. The reason why is because of the implications of Texas Tech wins. And Texas Tech has swept Kansas. Then I think the the question you posed earlier about is it a two-team race or a three-team race, potentially more. I think then it becomes a legitimate three-team race if Texas Tech wins that game. And that's something I would have never thought I would say coming into the season was that Texas Tech would be with that third team in the mix. I thought for sure it was Texas. But Texas Tech is, has proven that and has not played at the level they played at in that stretch where they beat Baylor and Kansas back-to-back. They haven't maintained that level of play, but they've maintained a good level of play. So if, if they beat Kansas and have that sweep, that tiebreaker over them, I think that puts some really interesting scenarios at play over the last month here. So it's two of the highest ranked teams plan. Um, so it feels a little bit of the obvious answer, but there's a reason why it's the obvious answer to me. Andy. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm going to, Honor the rule of not picking my own team. Um, also, because it's already been talked about, I kind of heard it. So um, as I was on my way back in, I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm actually super interested in this Kansas State-Baylor game. Uh, look, Kansas State has been playing phenomenally the last few games. And, and they honestly should have won against the Jayhawks. 
They had an epic collapse. And, and yes, you can talk about like Nigel Pack had to play completely out of his mind for them to be where they were in that one. And for, you know, but Kansas was able to make the comeback, but like this Kansas state team has been a lot tougher than I think most people expected them to be coming into the year. Um, and so I, I want to see if they can do it again against Baylor. Um, I don't expect Baylor to lose this game, but I do expect Kansas state to make this actually a game to make this an interesting game. And I think we'll get an idea of just how tough Kansas state is because going into Baylor, if you can keep that one, you know, in the single digits, um, then, then I think that tells me a lot more about this Kansas State team than, than anyone else. Okay, I'm going to have a little bit of a cop-out answer as well, but I'm really intrigued by Wednesday night's doubleheader. Two games at seven. Iowa State, as we've talked about, kind of reeling going on the road to Oklahoma State, who another team that can't really shoot the ball. This could, game could be really ugly. Like It's a game that ends with both teams in the like 50s ugly. Um, and then you get Oklahoma at West Virginia. Another game between two teams sitting there with just two conference wins kind of sliding on the backside in Big 12 play. Both teams, I mean, at this point are still tournament teams, but you don't want to slide off too much. So I'm like, it's two games between teams that you're like, okay, neither of these are in the race, but they both have some really intriguing options. Because again, Oklahoma State, it's not like they have a postseason. So they're just happy to knock off anybody because that's going to be a lot of fun for them. And Iowa State, Sliding, not playing as well. Oklahoma, sliding in conference play. West Virginia, like it's, it's a big night for those three teams. And it's kind of like we said with TCU and Oklahoma State last midweek. Like you really don't want to, like you don't really want to lose to Oklahoma State. It's not going to hurt you from a Ken Palm and a, and a net range, but like they don't have a postseason. That team should not be beating teams, but they are still in every single game and playing like they are committed to try and win as much as they can. So um, I'm intrigued by the Wednesday stuff. Okay. All that aside, we know what we're really excited about this week other than the Monday game, and that is the Big 12 SEC Challenge every year. Ten games, ten fantastic matchups, and and they don't look quite like they did at the beginning of the season as they do now. We've got ten games here, guys, um, and Andy, I don't care if you want to pick your team. It's fine. We'll break the rules here. Which game are you most interested in on Saturday? I mean, it, it has to be Kentucky-Kansas. Like, if you're looking at this, that is the marquee one. That is, you know, the blue blood matchup that everybody's had circled for the entire year. And both of these teams have lived up to it. I mean, Baylor-Alabama is a fantastic game, too, as well. Alabama's kind of fallen off a little bit from what people were expecting. But I still think that Alabama's a dec- uh, a fairly good team. And that f- the fact that Baylor's going to be on the road for that one, um, I think, makes it a little bit more intriguing. Um a sneaky good one, actually, that I wouldn't have thought would be at the beginning of the year, but that LSU at TCU game looks fascinating. Uh, one, it, it kind of kicks off the slate, so I'll be paying attention to it anyway because it's, you know, early morning, or I'm sorry, late morning, but early in the day basketball. Um, but a, a ranked LSU team against a much better than I think most people expected TCU team. Um, if, if TCU gets this win, I think that does a lot to validate the Big 12 um, you know, continue to validate the Big 12 and really kind of push them. Like, that is the type of win that could be enough to get them the at-large bid that they need, especially if things don't go phenomenally for them for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm I'm with you with that. Like, if TCU wants to be that eighth team for the Big 12 and the Big 12 get eight bids, TCU wins that game. And it's winnable. LSU is sliding. They're not playing as well lately. Their offense has been in a rut. Um, I, I think that's a really intriguing game to watch. The Kansas-Kentucky game is the one that I'm most excited to watch. I think it's the one college basketball fans are most excited to watch. The one I'm excited to see the implications of is the Texas-Tennessee game. I'm not as excited to actually watch that 
as I am some of the other games because both of those offenses are horrid. But there are two teams that have similar identities, really good defenses, kind of poor offenses, but have some good individual talent on the court. And they're in the same sort of weight class where they're ranked in the bottom part of the top 25. We'll see if Texas is still there. Um, Tennessee has enough wins. I think we'll say they're going into, into this week. But in, in terms of both NCAA tournament seeding and just the way the public views them as legitimate, a win, I think, separates one from the other, right? Where they're both in this tier right now of good teams, but there's a ceiling on them, right? Whoever wins that game, I think, can be moved up into, okay, maybe that's a second weekend team. And again, it, it's probably going to be ugly. Let's talk about a game in the 50s. It'll, be, it'll probably be in, in the high 50s as well. And I might be being generous. Uh, but the implications, I think, for both make this a very intriguing game. I'm with you on the Tennessee-Texas game. I, I am very much want to watch it. I really wish that they didn't stack the schedule on this day the way they do. Like 1, 11 a.m., 1, 7 p.m., and then everything else is crammed at 1 and 3. Like, can we spread it out a little bit more? Can I get 2 in the morning, yeah. 2 in night like please right. because there's too many good like one o'clock is oklahoma and auburn and you'd say well there's no way oklahoma's like yeah and then oklahoma went to alabama last year pull off the win missouri and iowa state like iowa state sliding but missouri is garbage like that's a real opportunity for iowa state and your other one o'clock game is west virginia at arkansas two teams that who had higher expectations coming into the season and and that's an intriguing matchup like that's a really interesting one o'clock slate three o'clock osu at florida um I have no idea there. I don't, I don't, I, I would pick Florida. Baylor at Alabama, which could be sneaky good. <laughs> Kansas State at Ole Miss. Like, if I, to play off the TCU LSU game, if Kansas State wants to find somehow in some way to be the AT, I don't think they're gonna. Like, I, I, I'm sorry, Kansas State. I'm gonna be real with you. Like, OSU obviously can't. Yeah. I don't think Kansas State is going to get enough wins to get in the tournament. This is a seven or eight team or team league for the NCAA tournament and it's kind of dependent upon how TCU continues to do and TCU's like well but we have a winning record uh congrats to the Chiefs they're heading on because they just Holy scored cow, in, fight in in first in OT um so put college put college overtime rules in <laughs> agreed seriously yes. like come on I don't understand they're like well we have time constraints but like no you don't. wait okay but it's playoffs now so don't the Bills get a chance no because they scored a touchdown <sighs> so stupid Yep, so touchdown wins game. Uh, uh, so like, whatever. Okay, it's only dumb if it does not benefit. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted this game to be one of those seven overtime uh, ones we, that just kept going and going. All right, and going. We're, we're at third overtime. You're now just going for two point conversions. Um, <laughs> uh, the point is Saturday is going to be as it always is every year, a ton of fun. Uh, Brian, before we get you out of here, prediction, does the Big 12 win it again, or do you think the SEC has a real shot at upsetting the Big 12 in the challenge this year? I think we either see it split 5-5 or one team wins 6-4. I think the SEC is much stronger top to bottom than it has been in the past. The Big 12 is still the best basketball conference in the country. Uh, But I think the SEC is strong enough and has enough favorable matchups where they could push this. I'll give the Big 12 that 6-4 edge, uh, but I a lot of these games are going to be close, which is going to make, make it really fun for yeah. us. Uh, but uh, but I, I still think the Big 12 has a 6-4 advantage. Absolutely. 
absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. Brian, do me a favor. You, man, I, I, I'm sorry we just not got you on. If people do not follow Brian's work, y'all are a bunch of, I mean, you're doing yourselves a disservice. Brian, where can everybody check out all the absolutely fantastic work you do covering college basketball? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at bralph33. It's B-R-A-U-F-33. Uh, I'm on there probably tweeting too much every night about parts of games that people don't care about, but <laughs> you can follow me there. Um, the website is heatcheckcbb.com. Um, we have a great team of writers who are all giant college basketball fans ourselves. And one of the reasons that the site was started is that we wanted to produce the kind of content that we would like as college basketball fans. We didn't feel that was really out there anywhere. Um, plus it gave us a, a place to, to put all the stuff that I wanted to write and talk about. I legitimately think that as a college basketball fan, uh, you can find anything you want to know about the sport or, or your team or your conference up on heatchecksv.com. So I highly suggest you check that out as well. Dude, I love your, your Ralph report. It's freaking awesome. Um, it's I, I love, especially when you put big 12 teams in there. Which you should do like all the time. So I'm just gonna you know, push, yeah. I'm pushing. I'm trying to. Th- I don't have any. I have a future Big Twelve team in there this week. So Ooh, wait, which one? Teaser, the teaser there. Houston. Okay, very good. Um, we're getting into a little bit of debate with some Texas Tech fans as to whether or not Kelvin Sampson should be uh, legit like coach of the year candidate right now. And after he's lost two oh. of the most important players for the year, like folks, that's interesting. <laughs> it's real interesting so check out uh, Ralph Port because um, you may be able to also jump in on that debate and I would lean toward Kelvin Sam dude folks the Big 12 men's basketball once the new four teams join oh like yeah it's only going to get better which is scary well it's only gonna like get- there's use now we have like you get UCF and that's like that's fine like they they UCF's a bu- potential bubble team this year too hey well I mean the AAC is Real bad. I'm stretching things, but yeah, it could happen. But since he's decent and Houston and BYU, good grief, it's gonna be awesome. More, more awesomer, Brian. Man, appreciate it always. Cannot wait to get you back on again. We, will, we I promise I will not wait another like multiple months before you're back here. We're talking hoops yeah, anytime, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Speaking of incoming Big 12 teams, if you have not seen Homefield Apparel's Cincinnati debut, oh my goodness you know how good it is do you want to know how good it is homefield apparel tracks the big new saturday sales so they have this like really cool graph they put out on twitter it's like how does every big new saturday team do against all the others so they've tracked them all since the beginning cincinnati has now the fifth best big new saturday debut period so there's only four schools that have done a better job than them they passed notre dame they passed notre dame this cincinnati lineup is fantastic it's so good i am gonna have to get one of these shirts i absolutely am i'm real tempted here let me pull up the one i like that's, that's just stinking awesome oh yeah the 1961 1962 national champs one's got a little bearcat with a crown on that is fantastic the old bearcat logo that looks like a <laughs> cat like mad because you're scared at night it's fantastic like this is this is such a good collection like this is such a this cincy bearcat vintage crew neck uh, sweatshirt is super cool. I love this. This is great. Okay. Oh, they have a baseball one. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Cincinnati. It's fantastic. It joins the rest of the Big 12 schools that are available at Homefield Apparel, including Baylor, Iowa State, 
Texas, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, and other future members including BYU, Houston, and UCF. They've got all four of the schools that are coming. That alone is a win. Homefield Apparel is what makes the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will find anywhere. And you can use our promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, and get 15% off your first order. So if you look at the Cincinnati stuff, you're like, I got to give me a couple of these. And you haven't bought anything yet, use our promo code. Save 15%. You can still hop on to the Big New Saturday like subscription thing. I, I think you can still do that. Eh, let me let me double check before I tell you that. I, I, I believe you can up through week three. I awesome. Think. Okay. So that is an option. But if you just want to pick, pick up a couple shirts, Network 12. 15% off your first order. This stuff is incredible. Go check it out. Homefieldapparel.com. They are the brand on Twitter. You need to check them out there as well. It's just, just go. If you haven't gone yet, like you must be new here. And that's fine. Welcome. I love new people listening to this show. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, but go check it out for yourself. You really do need to. Basketball season is finally here, Big 12 fans. And for your home for men's and women's basketball, come to Midwest Madness. We are doing game coverages, going over game analysis, different rankings of teams, and consistently looking at the best matchups in the conference. You're not going to want to miss out on all the amazing basketball coverage we have, so go check out Midwest Madness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, 1012 Network listeners. This is Dustin from the Scott Nolman Podcast, the original Houston Cougar athletics podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network. Uh, My co-host, Sam, do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott Nolman Podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston and their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that. All right, Andy, two things we need to hit before we bounce. Uh, I, I really appreciate that the Big 12 has partnered with her, HerHoopStats.com because it's had me paying closer attention to it. And they've got this really cool thing here. It's top NCAA players by win shares. They have the top 10 listed here. Uh, there were three players. The Baylor one dropped out of the top 10. Ashley Jones for Iowa State is currently sitting at ninth with 6.1. Atop the leaderboard, 8.8. Okay, 8.8 is none other than Kansas State's Aoka Lee who oh my yeah i mean today you know okay okay wait real quick real quick because today's game okay i thought oklahoma did a fantastic job okay of holding the rest of kansas state to only 33 points so you know i mean that was absolutely fantastic you know 69 to 61 way to go Oklahoma. oh oh wait wait you mean 61 was how many ayoka lee scored on her own oh okay okay that makes a whole lot more sense that is because that was that was ridiculous. The NCAA single game record. She now owns that record all by her lonesome. Bra freaking vote. Look, I'm not saying that the race for Big 12 player of the year on the women's side is over. I'm not going to go that far yet because there's still a lot of games to be played. And Ashley Jones is in serious consideration for that, as she absolutely should be. And 
You want to know how dumb I feel right now? It's the fact that I can't remember the Baylor player's name who is literally like, I'm, you know what I'm going to I'm going to go pull it up because I know who it is and I cannot for the life of me tell you her name. And I'm an idiot, but that's okay. I am often the person who forgets things that I should know better. This is what happens when I don't take good notes. Melissa Smith, done. Okay. Uh, I think it's a three-person race. We talked about it on Thursday when Jamie, uh, we had a really good women's basketball conversation on our last Thursday podcast. I think it's a three-player race between those three. But Aoki Lee's performance on Sunday, man, that kind of gives her the edge at this point because that is incredible. Just an absolutely incredible and dominant performance. I mean, just bravo to her. Absolutely bravo to her. Okay, uh, Andy, I know we're going to go a little bit long here, but oh well, that's what we're going to do. The Big 12 released back like a couple of months ago the the conference football schedule for 2022 uh and it's we we kind of put it off we're in the middle of the season we had lots of things to talk about there was no reason to just dive into it so we weren't going to but we are now now feels like a good time on january 23rd to look at the conference schedule for 2022 and kind of figure out you know just just offer some thoughts on, on this year's and so i'm curious from you um just initially, when it like what when it came out, what were some of the first thoughts you had? I mean, I was happy to see games like Kansas Kansas State being in rivalry week at the very end of the year. Um, you know, I thought they did. I thought they did a fairly good job with the way that they kind of scheduled everything. Um, I mean, there wasn't really anything that jumped out to me as, oh my gosh, this is atrocious scheduling. Um, yes, it was like. I think every team can find a quirk that they are unhappy with, or every fan base is going to find something that's absolutely ridiculous um, because that's kind of the way it always happens. And a lot of times, if you've got a problem with the way that the big 12 schedule is set up, it's probably because something that your team did in its scheduling. Uh, like for example, TCU playing, I think 10 straight games to finish the season out again, you know, TCU's non-conference scheduling sets them up for that every single time. Um, but you know, it's also it's also just kind of one of those things, unfortunately, where um, I don't know how much the Big 12 actually has to work with in terms of getting creative and trying to to fix what, you know, a lot what a lot of the issues are. Um, but, you know, I'm just looking at it. I'm trying to see if there's any games that jump out. And I'm sorry, I misplaced the graphics. So I'm looking at the, the text, which I'm telling you right now is a lot less informative than the actual graphics. So give me just a second while I actually go pull that up, because once I find it we are uh, going to have a lot more fun here. It'd be a lot easier to actually talk yeah. about it. Uh, while you hunt, it is interesting to me there are no bye weeks after uh, October 29th. So there are no bye weeks, no idle weeks, sorry. In the month of November, uh, I hate early idle weeks. Like, I hate them. Yeah, TCU's problem is, like, quit leaving your idle week in week two. Like, I, that's an old Gary Patterson habit they did. But, like, Oklahoma State's is the week before conference play, so they got to go nine straight weeks. Um a lot of them are pretty spread out. I, I don't love early idle weeks. That's me. I think it's I think it's tough for teams, but I don't. We can set that aside. Um, let's look at let's go from this standpoint. We put out our way too early rankings on Instagram. Um, I polled everybody in the network, all the shows, all the hosts, and got back like eight different entries, and we averaged those together. Uh, Valor was the number one preseason favorite to repeat as Big 12 title champs uh, for 2022. And so looking at their schedule, I think it's a good place to start. Um, they they have a couple non-conference games. Their bye week comes uh, October 8th. They open 
at Iowa State, home game versus Oklahoma State, Idle Week, uh, a Thursday night, a Thursday game at West Virginia, Kansas, and then the way the schedule goes for them, like it's pretty, it's set up pretty well. Like really, the toughest stretch you could argue is that Iowa at Iowa State and Oklahoma State at home because they got back to back games on the road at Texas Tech and Oklahoma. Two schools with new head coaches. You get Kansas State and TCU at home in back-to-back weeks. I mean, TCU with a new coach. You end the season, the regular season, at Texas. But, I mean, everything's kind of spread out as far as who's rebuilding, um, the teams we think could actually contend this year. Like, it's pretty split up for them, which is really nice. Like, I, I didn't even really spend a lot of time on their schedule when I when we when we did our early ranking, in part because like part of it's kind of silly to be doing a ranking this early. Like guys, I, I get it. Like there's so much going on, people. Right. But but at this point, like you throw in how their schedule stacks up, and it it just kind of backs up the idea that they have a really good opportunity to repeat next year. Yeah, I mean it. They got. They got, I think, extremely, extremely fortunate. And, and I mean, I think part of that too, though, is that the Big 12 Conference is in so much flux right now that it's like we can look at it now. I mean, I, I think going into last year, we thought that Iowa State schedule was set up really well. Like we thought that Oklahoma schedule was set up really well. Like I think we look at that every year and, and we can find ways to talk about how, how great it is for who we think is going to be the best because we don't really know who number two and three and four are actually going to be Um, like, I bet if we went back and looked at the 2021 schedule and compared that to the way people actually broke it down, that you could say, man, some teams got screwed and we didn't think that they did last year because guess what? We had absolutely no idea. And, And I think obviously the order you played them can also affect the final rankings and affect how people actually think about them. But, um, you're right in that, like the teams that we think are going to be contenders in the conference this year, are very, very spread out for Baylor. I think I think you can even, I mean, you could make a similar argument for, there was another team I was looking at that I thought was having something similar uh, happen for them. Uh, TCU actually has a decent, I mean, yes, you have Texas and Texas, Baylor and Iowa State to finish that one. But to be honest, if, if, if you think that Iowa State's going to take a big step back because of everybody that they lost, like not really sure, what the, what the new quarterback's going to do and kind of what's going on there. You could make the argument that, yeah, Baylor's going to be strong, but Texas is kind of in flux still. You think it's going to get better, but, you know, look through the rest of their schedule and they, they are alternating for the most part, you know, a strong team with a not so strong team. And so it's really a matter of uh, like, you can go through every single one of these schedules and find, I think that Oklahoma's sets up really well. They have Texas uh, towards the beginning unless TCU takes a huge step forward, they've got a, a fairly good front half and then they play Baylor after Iowa state. And then, you know, have a week in between that and Bedlam and then end up with Texas tech. So again, without knowing which teams are going to take a huge step forward, like I think for the most part, most of these teams are actually in a similar situation to Baylor where they're, where they're alternating between the teams that we think are going to be good and the teams that we think aren't going to be quite as good. Things I always look for is who gets, back-to-back home games and who gets back-to-back road games. Uh, Baylor's got a back-to-back road. It's at Texas Tech and at Oklahoma, but then they get Kansas State and TCU at home. Uh, Let's see. Iowa State does not have back-to-back conference road games this season. They do get Oklahoma on a Thursday night after an idle week and then West Virginia at home, so that's a nice setup. Kansas gets back-to-back home and then back-to-back road. Oof. 
Iowa State TCU yeah, at Oklahoma rough. at Baylor. That's a that's a that's a tough October for them. Um Kansas State's got back to back road games late in the season before Sunflower Showdown on the final week. Uh Oklahoma does not get back to back home games this year. Uh they go to TCU and then they get Texas and Dallas for back to back I mean road ish. It's pretty much a, a neutral site game, but they don't get back to back home games this year. Neither does Oklahoma State. Um, the only teams who don't get back back road games, Texas technically does, but they have an idle week between road games at Oklahoma State and Kansas State to break that up. West Virginia does not have back to back road games, and that's a team. Look, when we put out our rankings, they're a little bit lower in them. I believe we, uh, as a group, had them eighth. I do not have them eighth. I have them higher. That's a team where if they get the quarterback in. Or quarterback figured out, like, I think West Virginia's got a shot. Um, you know, our whole bit was a different team that played Oklahoma every year. Well, there's literally been a different team. A new team has made the Big 12 title game every year since it came back. That still holds true at this point. Because year one, you had Oklahoma and TCU. And then you had Oklahoma and Texas. And Oklahoma and Iowa State. Or, or Baylor. And then Oklahoma and Iowa State. And you have Baylor and... Oklahoma State. So six teams in the Big 12 and a different team every year has made it. Six teams in the Big 12 have made the Big 12 title game. There's only four left. Texas Tech, Kansas, West Virginia, and Texas, and uh, West Virginia, Kansas State, Kansas, and Texas Tech. Slow down and say it. Stop being so fast. And if we're going to keep this bit going of a new team makes it every year, no offense to Texas Tech, but a new head coach, I'm not putting them in there. No offense to Kansas, but Kansas. It's West Virginia and Kansas State. The disrespect. Yeah. It's West Virginia and Kansas State are the two that you really look at as, as legit contenders, contenders if someone who's going to get there. And at some point in this offseason, probably the next couple of weeks, we, we will kind of look at the new assistant coach hires, the coordinators, and kind of which ones we like the best. And getting Graham Harrell to come over and be the new OC for West Virginia, I love that move. I think it's a brilliant move. And it's the kind of move for West Virginia that could legitimately take them to that next level. Jared Daigie is gone. He's off to, I think he went to West for Western Kentucky, if I remember correctly, as to where he transferred. Um, so somebody new is going to be under center for West Virginia. If that somebody can be an upgrade over Daigie with everything they have coming back on defense, like West Virginia is my dark horse. Like my, I'm going to pick a team to say they legitimately could make the Big 12 title game. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't have to, I'm not going to predict them to do so. But if I had somebody who is outside of the teams you normally would pick to do so, I think it's West Virginia. And I think the schedule kind of sets up for them. They've got to go back-to-back road games at Virginia Tech, new coach, at Texas. So they get an idle week. Baylor on a Thursday, at Texas Tech, TCU at West Virginia, home games against Oklahoma and Kansas State, and that, uh, and then at Oklahoma State to end the regular season. Like, you're going to play everybody at some point. But the way the schedule sets up for them, and they always have that, not, that difficult non-conference, but non-conference doesn't have any impact. Man, at Pitt, Townsend at Virginia Tech. They're going to at Pitt and at Virginia Tech. Man. Yeah, it's going to be a rough a rough beginning of the season for them, I think. But, I mean, they, they do get Kansas in week two, so that should help out a little bit unless Kansas takes a huge leap forward, which I'm not ruling out entirely. But it's definitely one of those things where, like, you look at it now, that should be a game that they win, especially since it's at home. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely do – think that West Virginia has a schedule that is set up to help them out. I, I think if I was picking one, it would probably be Kansas state. Um, I just think that I, I think that they're better at this point. Um, you are making an assumption. I think 
that everything else comes together around a new quarterback. And as we've seen with several teams in the Big 12, um, plopping in a new quarterback doesn't necessarily change what's going on throughout the rest of the team. And yes, you can definitely make the argument that Daigie was was the main contributor to a lot of the problems that West Virginia had. But they were, I think there was enough issues around the rest of the team that it's difficult to think that it's magically going to get better. Now, that said, there's a ton of upside because if that really was the main problem, that Daigie's just not dynamic enough to really do what West Virginia needs them to do, then they could take a huge leap forward. Um, I, I mean, I, I see, I see, I think West Virginia is kind of how we saw TC, at least right, right now, as we saw TCU last year. Coming into the season, TCU was that trendy pick to kind of be the dark horse in the Big 12 because the thought process was all TCU really needed at that point, you know, was to get Max Duggan to take that next step forward. Um, and if he had done that, who knows how many things would have changed, but obviously there was a bunch of other issues with that TCU team. The defense was nowhere near as good as a lot of people thought it was going to be. But I think West Virginia is in a similar situation where a lot of people are assuming that the defense is good. Um you know, potentially great if some things get, get kind of worked out there. And most of West Virginia's offensive problems seem to be related to the quarterback position. So it's oddly similar to what TCU was last year. Um, I, I'm just curious if we're going to find out the same sort of thing, that there's other issues with this West Virginia team. They're not quite ready to take that, take that next step forward. Or if this is going to be the year where it finally, everything just finally gels and Neil Brown takes that, that huge leap forward. I do wonder how much time Neil Brown has left at West Virginia. Before like they have to make a move at some point here in the in the not to or in the very near future, uh, for I think a lot of people to be comfortable moving forward because there was a lot of people that were ready to move on from Neil Brown after this year or towards the end of this year, but the main reason that they haven't even considered it at this point is because of the money related to it that they can't really afford to move on. You get another year closer to it being financially possible, and if he doesn't take a huge step forward, has another year similar to this year. Yes, I realize they went to a bowl game. Um, but you've got to see that incremental progress, especially at a place like West Virginia for people to, to remain happy. So, um, you know, if, if you bring in a new quarterback and that's like the big thing that everyone's talking about is the quarterback's the issue, you bring in a new quarterback and nothing really changes, then you start have to have to wonder what else is the problem. And the coach is one of the easy places to turn for a situation like that. I mean, I, I think for West Virginia, I am going to turn into West Virginia pod. I, I think he made the move in bringing in Graham Harrell that we've seen a lot of coaches do that has helped turn things in the right direction is a head coach who's doing too much who needs to focus on being on the head, being the head coach. And the offensive side of the ball has been the problem for West Virginia. It's not been the defense since he got there, like surprisingly. So bringing in Graham Harrell, implementing his system, letting him run the offense, Neil Brown running the team, being in charge of the football team as a whole, figuring out who you're going to do to develop a quarterback because you've been sticking with Daggy forever and that's not worked. I think, look, I understand that in nowadays, like we got to fire a guy quick, but like year four should be your breakthrough year at a non like blue blood. We're going to win national championships. And this is going to be year four for Fino Brown. And we'll do the year four talk because I, I want to have a really good conversation on him and, and climbing at some point. But like, it's a big year for West Virginia. And I, I just, that's how high I feel about the Graham Harrell hire is I look at that schedule, uh, Kansas State schedule, man, there's a four game stretch of, Oklahoma State, Texas, at Baylor, at West Virginia there from the end of October until I mean, until about the midway through November that, that scares me for them, which, again, we'll see how they're looking. we got to waste that. Okay, we've gone too long. We tried to put some football in. It's just so much fun to talk basketball right now. Shouts to A.O. Leave, who is good grief, girl. Get it. Like, 
61 freaking points. That is just amazing. Like, just have yourself a night. Take five minutes, whatever. Have yourself an absolute night. Uh, don't forget, give Andy a follow on Twitter at AndyMits12. And check out the Rock Chalk podcast, his Kansas show, which will have, what, three episodes this week? Uh, No. No. Still, still just two for now. We do have a, a format changing or a format change coming that I haven't actually announced yet, but it will be coming later this week to kind of let you know what exactly we're moving to. So um, we, we do have some great fun stuff coming up for the rock chalk podcast. So check out the show, follow it on Twitter at rock chalk podcast, rock chalk pod. Yeah. Uh, Follow us on Twitter. I'm, yeah, we're, we're done at uh, at 1012 network t e n the number 12 the word network follow us on the instagram at 1012 pod leave us a rating and review five stars please it really does help the show out if you can leave us five stars on whether you are an itunes listener spotify listener or good pods listener we would appreciate it if you're an itunes listener leave us a review we haven't got one in a while i could use a review i'd really like one i'd like to be positive please like i don't want to read it on here and be like these guys are the worst you know it's fine with the listen please be nice okay we're really tired and stressful um we'll be back on thursday i don't know what it's going to be yet i might but i'm not gonna tell you because when i do it gets canceled so we will talk to you guys then and gals sorry Podcast Network.